Hi everyone, Christian here from the Cinematric Podcast. We just wanted to take some time at the beginning of the show to let you all know that we're discussing Reminiscence, and one of the actresses in Reminiscence, her name is Tandy Way Newton. We mistakenly refer to her as Tandy Newton throughout the show. We wanted to take this moment to apologize for big fans of her work, and hope that you all realize that moving forward and as you listen. Anyway, enjoy the show, guys. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, how are you on this fine Sunday evening as we sit down to record this lovely podcast? Scott, I'm just going to give you a, a few more tries to okay. get a blend of the month in okay. that um, rivals one of mine. Oh boy, here we go again. So, listeners, if you've been following this show, you know that Christian and I argue about Blends of the Month because he plays it safe, and I get freaky with it. Try to do some fun stuff, throw in some wildcard options. When have any of your risks paid off? My risks pay off all the time. Draft Day is an absolute gem of a film, and the only reason you don't care about it is because it's a football movie, <laughs> and you don't really love the NFL as much as, as I do. I feel insulted. Because I love my dolphins more than so many things. And also, <laughs> don't want to give you tangible things. Sure. Pick something you have in your life, and I love it more than that. Okay. Anything in my life? Breakfast. I love the dolphins more than I love you eating breakfast. Good. I want you to fast. Well, just so you know, I did Unreliable Narrators Month, and that was a banger That was not bad. Month. That was not bad. Live action animation was also mostly good. Tom and Jerry was not good, but the others that we looked at, I am fans we're, of all three of those movies. It was interesting. It Nothing that you have... Let's... Rivals... Any one of my blends. Goodness gracious. Rivals any one of your blends. Absolutely, like, they do. And we can maybe 1973, this. maybe. Aaron Sorkin may be my worst blend. And it's 8,000 leagues above you. Oh, well, you can pick The Social Network, which is arguably the best movie of the last, what, 10, 15 years? Well, it's not. But even oh, you think that. Oh, so. Many, many people think this. No, so here's the thing. I play it safe, and that's okay. I get a little funkier when it comes to picking a blend. And just because I get funky with it doesn't my mean that I'm inferior. get clicks. Here's is there, the thing. Is there, data? <laughs> is there data to prove this? Have you analyzed? Live on air production meeting. <laughs> Look, man. There's a reason why you don't really check the site as much as I do, and you shouldn't start. Okay, I'll get more into the weeds, and Christian is, of course, insulting me for my blend choices because we have been looking at women-directed sci-fi, original sci-fi concepts, of course, this month, all building up to today's movie, which is Reminiscence. And naturally, it has not been necessarily a bunch of heavy hitters. We started with Deep Impact, which is a movie that... Neither of us. Okay, what do you mean by heavy hitters, though? Deep Impact was a blockbuster. Deep Impact was a blockbuster. In terms of heavy hitters for our personal tastes, movies that we really, really enjoyed, it wasn't up there, is what I'm saying. And you're talking about my taste, my ability to pick movies. And so, Deep Impact, a weird starting off point, being a blockbuster, but neither of us loved it as much. Fast Color comes out, movie that I liked quite a bit, you were a little bit more cool on, although you didn't dislike it, correct? 
Correct. And so now we have Reminiscence, a, a new release movie, so no real critical consensus to draw on, just the instant reaction reviews that we're seeing. There's a bit of critical consensus to well, draw on. Well, there's, there's I'm, I know, but I'm saying a movie like Deep Impact has its fans who've been fans since the 90s and haters who've hated it since the 90s. Fast Color has been out for a few years, its director is becoming more well-known, and so, again, it's something that people have looked at a lot more closely. Reminiscence is brand new, so I'm just saying we don't have as much to draw on, and especially when it comes to sci-fi. This is a genre that often has, or a genre that often gives cult films or hidden gems or movies that people really go to bat for and love, even when there's no critical consensus behind it, or no fan consensus behind it. And so... I know that looking at movies like this can be a little bit risky, and I like to take some of these risks. It's fun to watch and cross some of these movies off the list, so sue me. But we can also look at the data if we need to. <laughs> Listeners, uh, if, you, if you love my picks, <laughs> let us know. Let us know. But alas, we'll take the uh, production meetings from on-air to off-air. We'll get into that later, not to bore you folks listening along at home. And we will get into our movie of the week, which is Reminiscence. Brand new, week old as of this podcast recording. It is directed by Lisa Joy, written and produced with her husband, Jonathan Nolan. So another husband and wife team here. Jonathan Nolan, obviously the brother of Christopher Nolan. So some sci-fi and fantasy bona fides there, working with his brother quite a bit. The two also did Westworld, which is their biggest claim to fame. Have you seen Westworld, Christian? I've seen the first two seasons. I haven't seen the third. Okay, I haven't I haven't watched an episode. So just in, in brief, what are your feelings on Westworld coming into this? It's just the highest profile thing that Lisa Joy has done so far, I would say. I think that the first season is is nothing short of exceptional exceptional honestly tv and when it first came out it was considered like the successor to game of thrones in terms right. of the high production and i think season one met that season two got too convoluted for me and that kind of prevented me from from checking out season three as soon as it came out even though it's been out for a couple of years now okay so definitely worth watching especially the first season and then you, you know test test the waters there with the second and maybe third season she also, Lisa Joy specifically, has done some more work in television specifically, Pushing Daisies and Burn Notice being two of the more notable things, at least listed on her Wikipedia page. I've seen a couple episodes of Pushing Daisies. It's pretty good. It's a very good concept. It, that's one, I mean, speaking of cult films, that's one that has a pretty rabid fan base, although it was canceled early on. It has its fans. So, again, maybe one worth checking out. We can see her earlier work there. Other notable players, of course, for Reminiscence are the actors, so naturally Hugh Jackman leading the way here. What feels like one of his first true starring roles since maybe The Greatest Showman? Am I forgetting something? I, I don't know. I, I have no clue what Hugh Jackman's been doing with this life. <laughs> with Hugh Jackman, we have Rebecca Ferguson, Tandy Way Newton, and Cliff Curtis it's, in... Uh, it's Spurs. actually pronounced Tandy Newton. Well... Here's the thing. <laughs> I know it's Tandy Newton, but she has recently started going by her given name, not her nickname. So I think even her given name with the W in it, you still pronounce it Tandy Newton. Interesting. I didn't know that. So we will call her Tandy for this podcast. 
and you can feel free to let us know for wrong folks listening along at home. I always like to mention these folks as well. This movie was shot by Paul Cameron, edited by Mark Yoshikawa, and the music was done by Ramin Jawadi, who, speaking of Game of Thrones and Westworld, I believe he does the music for Westworld. He also very famously did the music for Game of Thrones. He is a composer I like quite a bit based on his work, so I was glad to see that he was doing the music here. Reminiscence is a big deal. It's obviously a big straight to HBO Max and Warner Brothers screen or big screen production. A lot of this has been invested in this brand new sci original sci-fi movie. And I know building up to it, Christian, you did not have a lot of excitement. Have you talked to other people about this movie? I, I just what's what's the consensus in your mind? Not in terms of reviews, but in terms of how are people feeling about Reminiscence coming into it? So most of the people whom I've talked to don't know that it's a movie, and the people who were able to see the trailers for Reminiscence said, oh, it feels like the entire story was shown in the trailer, and none of them were excited for it. Huh. That's interesting. That Now that I've seen it, I would say the entire story isn't shown in the trailer, but that's an interesting thing to take away, just because that's a common critique of trailers. Everyone who knows that it's a movie, none of the people whom I've spoken to was excited for this movie. Mm. Reminiscence. I know for me, I was intrigued by the concept, although I hated seeing the trailer, what felt like every five minutes. I know for some recent NFL preseason broadcasts, it was one of this seemingly four commercials they were playing on a loop. Played before most movies I had seen recently, I know, and living around LA, obviously we're seeing billboards and such, so I know Warner's was really pushing this. I think they wanted it to be a success, obviously, being an original sci-fi property. So, without further ado, Christian, I guess we can just jump right into fun facts. There's not a ton of build-up here, just because, obviously, Lisa Joy, this is her directorial debut when it comes to a big movie. Jonathan Nolan, obviously, been working with his brother, but we've talked a lot about Chris Nolan and therefore Jonathan Nolan already on this podcast. So, only a couple fun facts to share, if you're, if you're cool to get, just dive right in. Sure. What um what we're going to do is Scott's going to give the fun facts and I'm going to react to them. <laughs> I will tell him if they're fun. Perfect. Maybe we should just adopt this structure moving forward. <laughs> you can be the arbiter of what is fun. So Christian, first fun fact for you. So somewhat famously, I wouldn't say this is a, an extremely notable Hollywood fun fact, but because the movie itself was a really big deal, Rebecca Ferguson and Hugh Jackman obviously starred together in The Greatest Showman, where he did his own singing, of course, but she did not. And she had her singing voice dubbed by a singer named Lauren Allred. But in this movie, playing a lounge singer, she actually did get to use her own singing voice. So this is Rebecca Ferguson's real voice on the movie. I, here's the thing. She can sing. Oh, she can sing. This is true. I, and, and I enjoyed her singing voice. So I'm kind of sad that she wasn't able to sing in Greatest Showman. Which, there are a lot of fans of The Greatest Showman... Good for you that you like a movie. Let's just go with that. <laughs> Good job, Greatest Showman fans. That was a movie I remember quite liking when I saw it in the theaters with my family, and then I hated it about two weeks later because my younger siblings just played the soundtrack on a loop and I started to hate every song. <laughs> it's just not good. That is a discussion for another day, perhaps. I'm sorry, I don't believe in saying that movies are good or bad. It has... No development, story development whatsoever. Poor Greatest Showman, except not. It was a massive movie. And then my only other fun fact here for you, obviously not a lot to go off of, but naturally, working on Westworld, 
Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan brought along a few actors who had been on the show, most notably Tandy Newton, who was one of the stars of Westworld, and Angela Serafian, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with her character. I don't know when she comes into the show, but she plays, I believe her name is Elsa in this movie. They're the two... Yes, I remember her because I saw her and I'm like, I remember her from Westworld. Yes, <laughs> she, she, she makes a very good robot. <laughs> well, there you go. Good job, Angela Serafine. And then a few other actors who I think maybe have small roles in Westworld do appear in this movie as well. So, Christian, I'm just going to cut to the chase, and we can let our dialogue on the movie flow from there. I knew that in the build-up to this movie, I was more interested than you, and you told us on this podcast you are not very much looking forward to it. So, Christian, flat out, up front, were you... Did, I should I should say, did Reminiscence live up to your low expectations, or were you pleasantly surprised? I wouldn't say I was pleasantly surprised, but I was surprised by some of the things that were going on there. And I'll give a couple of examples. The, some of the cinematography, some of the production is stunning. The way that they portray sunken Miami, I've made fun of Miami will sinking into the ocean for years now. And I think that it actually seems plausible the way that they not only portrayed that, but also didn't go too deep into it and instead showed the effects of societal collapse because of global warming. And they didn't mention global warming once. I think that was very smart of them to do. I also like how they portrayed poverty living and also the way that people make a living. And I love that this was, um, I'm going to use the term soft science fiction. Uh, soft science fiction is mainly what we've been looking at so far. I, I guess deep impact would be considered hard science fiction. Soft science fiction is a term where it's an idea of technology that seems plausible, but has absolutely no real groundings in science so far. You can just assume that science could advance to a point where that's possible. And because they didn't give me too much information about how the reminiscence itself works, I was able to buy into the idea that, yes, people would be doing this. A lot of the backstory elements and the way that the dialogue and the scenes are portrayed are really cool world-building elements. So we're on the right track here. The design of the movie, the background information, the world that we're inhabiting is working for you. But I feel like there's a but coming. <laughs> I, not really. No, the world building goes well. I, I have one plot issue that kind of like stumbles, I think, because of the world building. We'll get into it. But the whole kind of crime of the guy who hires the person to frame the woman and uh, get the fortune... I think that that played too much into the the poor are rising up against the rich in a convoluted way. So I actually think they went overboard with the concept at the end. But throughout it all, every time I got like shots of New Orleans, all the shots of Miami, the the cool, the, the time where they're able to like, I'm, I'm guessing go into central Florida and go into non-sunken land and how that was beautifully portrayed beautifully shot beautifully set up so so far i i think we're on a similar page like really liked the the look and design of this movie do you want me to tell you what i don't like we'll right get, off the bat we'll get there we'll get there i agree that sunken miami is a really cool setting for the movie and and explaining why it was that way could have been handled so poorly there could have been that you know the the lame like text Hugh Jackman on screen, voiceover 
Well, there's a lot of Hugh Jackman voiceover. But it, he didn't use it to explain it, which right. I enjoyed. Right. No voiceover to explain how we got here, just allusions to what he was to what happened, and no text on the screen like the year is 2041, 10 years ago. None of that at the beginning of the movie. Just kind of showing off this possible future. And like you said, the soft science fiction look, this could happen. There's, there is some plausibility here. And so I thought it was a really cool place to set a movie, especially... When you are creating the concept from whole cloth, and this isn't adapting a comic book or a novel or a short story or anything, this is coming from your brains. And so, I thought that was really cool too. And and I do agree that the the way this movie is shot, I think there are a lot of beautiful shots, and and there was a lot of clear intention put into these scenes. I actually had a problem with the editing, which maybe we can we can get into as we start to talk about some of the stuff that didn't work about this movie. But it does seem like we're on a similar page as to the, the look and feel and design. So I guess since you're alluding to it already, what what didn't work for you? The story. Okay. <laughs> it, it's. Uh, do you want to go give kind of the plot summary or do you want me to do it? Yeah, let, I'll, I'll do that. So... Hugh Jackman and Tandy Newton run Bannister and Associates, which allows people to enter a machine that gives them what's called a reminiscence. It puts people in sort of a sensory tank, activates their brain waves, and they can relive memories, essentially. It's all happening in their brain, but Hugh Jackman is able to observe, and we should say his character is Nick Bannister. So Nick is able to observe what is going on through essentially the memory being recreated in this big machine it's not quite a video screen it's like the people are really there and he can help guide the person dreaming and he can say oh go remember this or oh what what else was that like what else did you see that person and it can help these people remember happy memories essentially he gets caught up in this larger plot because he falls in love with a woman named may and may one day as you know from the trailers (laughs) apparently up and leaves him And so he spends time trying to figure out why she left him, and we find out that she is embroiled in a larger conspiracy, because of course she is. So he goes looking for her and tries to figure out why why she left him so abruptly, who is she really, what's going on. So that is the, the general premise of the movie. And there is definitely some Nolan Brother esque thoughts on memory, and Lisa Joy obviously cares about these sci-fi concepts as well, being so heavily involved with Westworld, and and what what really matters, the past, the present, or the future, what's real, what's not real, how are we experiencing life, all of these questions peppered in lightly through the story. I would say, though, even though it is concerned with memory, it's, it, it's Nolan light. <laughs> right. Def- definitely Nolan-esque, with Jonathan Nolan being around, but... But it's, it, it, it's not full mind F. <laughs> Good censoring. Avoid that explicit tag on this here podcast. Hey, you're the main one who curses on this podcast. That's true. Sorry, listeners with tender ears. So, what what didn't work for you about the story? Okay, look. I'm, ha- okay, look. Look, here is what is not working for me. Allow me to wilt away while you Hugh take over. Hugh Jackman needed to move on from this woman. Oh my goodness, boy. You were... A good-looking dude. You got your life ahead of you. You were in the army. Find someone else. Go on Bumble. Coffee meets bagel. One of the apps. I did not believe for a second his 
chemistry with May. Not that they didn't have the best chemistry, but their relationship is so not fleshed out that all the time he spends thinking about her and reminiscing about her, when she leaves him, he just becomes an addict of reminiscence. Just getting into the tank. But here's the thing. I can understand why people are addicted to drugs. I don't understand what it was about her that he was addicted to because she is not fleshed out. And that is honestly terrible because May was a good actress. I think she may have been the best actress in this movie and she is not fleshed out. Her character is not given the time that she needed to be. And we jump too quickly into his search for her that I don't believe anything. So you mean Rebecca Ferguson is a great actress or May the character is a great actress? Rebecca Ferguson. Okay. So, I hear what you're saying, and here's why I'm going to call bull on it. Because throughout this this blend, for better or for worse, we've been looking at the ways that sci-fi uses other genres. So, Deep Impact is a sci-fi disaster movie. Fast Color is an interesting take on superheroes. And now we have Reminiscence, which is also mashed up with another genre, and that genre is noir. And this is very much trying to be a sort of sci-fi neo-noir a lot of the thematic and generic conventions of noir are here. Obviously, a man who's sort of a private eye, he helps with lawyer, he helps the DA investigate things, who gets in with a femme fatale into a, a convoluted plot that is that is puts him way in over his head. And I think that's why we it's better that we didn't know as much about May because we knew how she made Nick feel and we knew what he what she was to him. I know what noir is. And the thing is... <laughs> saying you don't know what noir is. I, I know, but here's the thing about noir. It becomes... When you meet a femme fatale in noir, she immediately seems untrustworthy. And that is the idea. She is a seductress, you know? She is the classic stereotype of a woman who will lead a man into the slaughterhouse like a siren. And that is the idea behind noir conventions. We studied this a little bit with Who Framed Roger Rabbit earlier this year, where you were uh, you appropriately mentioned and gave me reason to see how uh, she was able to subvert expectations. Shout out to Jessica Rabbit. <laughs> but here's the thing: she is May is not a seductress. She is um, she is working a job and she disappears. Because she is not presented as a seductress, those noir elements are kind of thrown out the window. If we're to see someone who disappeared, we don't ever see the chemistry that meant, oh wow, Hugh Jackman really loved this woman. If we are to see a seductress, the things that were actually part of May's backstory should have been brought earlier on so that we could should uh, should have been intrigued by discovering her backstory. Instead, we are watching reminiscences and, and longings and everyone's telling Hugh Jackman to move on and I, as an audience member, am telling him, bro, move on because I can't be brought in to care about this relationship. Clearly, the movie didn't. I guess this is just... This isn't even a problem that I thought about watching this movie because... So much of May's character is a little bit classic noir. The way she enters in that beautiful evening gown, she does seduce him because she straight up takes off her dress and rejects the modesty suit that modesty suit that they offer every person who gets in the tank. And she, I don't want to spoil 
later developments in the plot. This is a new movie. And so I don't want to go into spoilers because we find out more about um, how much she knew about Nick and why she entered his life. And obviously he learns about who she was and what she was doing as the plot thickens. And so I just, and she, she's even a lounge singer. <laughs> she sings at this club and those sultry vocals are part of what makes Nick fall in love with her in, in this process. And, and they even sleep together soon after meeting each other. And this is, again, part of his reminiscences we come to learn. But I, I guess I just don't see the point how she's not presented as a seductress because they quite literally, she quite literally seduces him to bed the night that they, maybe not the night that they meet, but shortly after meeting him. It feels more like they're introducing a romance than they're introducing a seductress because a seductress will show little care about Nick. Instead, we see that May cares about Nick, which feels like it's going to lead in into a further romance, but that aspect isn't isn't dealt upon. So, this is hard because, like I said, I don't want to get into spoilers, and I will say... The way that this movie ends and resolves didn't work for me. And I liked a lot of the build-up. Okay, same. Honestly, same. Yeah. And and I, I would say the ending... It's unfortunate because for me... I, I like this movie. I'll come out and say it. Like, Reminiscence had pretty had a pretty gnarly critical reaction not not totally t- totally destroyed but not fresh on rotten tomatoes and i liked it and but audience members also and audience members also cuz i liked all of the noir stuff that was going on and the ending kind of felt like a betrayal of what they'd been establishing so far like you said goes into deep on the real world applications of rich versus poor and that's not nearly well established enough throughout the rest of the movie I, I think that had. the rich versus poor application was better seen when we saw it. When we saw where the poor people lived. Right. Where we see where May lives. Where May sings. Right. Right. That's beautiful. And and then it's didactic. And, yeah. Uh, then that... Yeah. The, there are a few sequences at the end of this movie. Like basically the last two or three scenes that just didn't work for me flat out. They're very talky. Yeah. And despite that, I did like the rest of what we had going on. And there is a final twist involving May, again, that I won't spoil, that I really didn't like. And part of that was because it was betraying what who we thought her character was, even though it's the way it resolves kind of makes sense within within the world of reminiscence. Do you remember what why you didn't like the end of Conjuring 2? Because it was too Hollywoody to CGI inflated action and kind of got away from the haunted house feel of the first movie. I think that's that is an appropriate critique for this movie. Interesting. It became too hollywoody of a film at the end. Yeah. Where it needed to be more gritty. I yeah, I I agree. I think grittier is definitely a quality I would have hoped for in the ending, especially because a, a quality of noir is its bleakness. And we don't have to go all film school on this, but all of the original noir movies of the 40s and 50s were coming from directors reacting to everything going on in the world. Obviously, coming out of World War II and the devastation that it wrought and all of these broken men returning to their home countries, but for us especially in the States here, making American movies about these people, and then getting into the Cold War. There's a certain sense of depression and nihilism that noir is being made with in mind and the best noir even if you're trying to subvert it the best noir i think maintains that atmosphere and it is willing to commit to it and there are some 
things that transpire at the end of this movie that just didn't didn't maintain the feeling the negative feelings. It didn't commit to it, and it got too Hollywoody. And that that's why it didn't work for me. But I, I bought into the rest of the story. For the most part. There are a few things that happen where you sit back and... More nitpicky things. Where you sit back and wonder, how did he get there so fast? And how did she know he was going to be there? (laughs) I I have a critique. And it's hard for me to say this because I love her. Were you a fan of Tandy Newton's accent? She didn't have much of an accent. She's British. Right. I know she's British, but her... American accent. Plain American accent. I think it was trying too hard to be American. <laughs> Did you not get that feeling? Not at all. <laughs> and I was going to say, I actually really like her and her character in this movie. I thought she was... I unfortunately think she was given one of the worst character developments and storylines and, and dialogue. I Again, I would say I really like her because I like her for the first 80% of this movie and then where her character resolves, I don't necessarily love. But... <laughs> I, I don't know. I it, Yeah, it's one of those things where they Joy and Nolan don't really land the plane with her character. But I wouldn't I wouldn't ascribe that to Tandy Newton's performance. I think she's trying. I, 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 I think she should have just been British. I think this movie would have been better if Tandy <laughs> Newton had just If Hugh Jackman was just Australian and, and Tandy, Tandy Newton, Newton was just British. British. And we can say, too, Tandy Newton plays Watts, who is Nick Bannister's second-in-command. She helps him run these reminiscences. They, I think, are friends from this war they keep alluding to. And so her his vice is May, and her vice is alcohol. And so she's hard-drinking, hard-living, second-in-command. And, and they have some some conflict along the way and she but she's always there to help him out so i did like her character because she gets to do some some pretty cool stuff during the movie which is fun there's there's one big action scene there's a couple big action scenes but one it's a shootout set at this club in new orleans that they go visit that i i really like that whole scene actually i don't know we can talk about the (laughs) the other the villain who's in that scene because talk about going for it but I, i i liked her character and with scenes like that, again, it's a lot of stuff that was working for me, but some of the whole package didn't all come together. So I guess we talked about Tanya Newton there, Hugh Jackman. What did you think of Hugh Jackman's performance? You know, he's upset and 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 yells, and that's kind of a Hugh Jackman staple at this point. He's he really upset because the girl he loves either lied to him or won't be there for someone needs to write him like a happy wife in a movie <laughs> they, they they have a happy wife at the end of greatest showman right they reconcile yeah i think i don't remember yeah, I don't, sure <laughs> we'll, he's we'll find a movie where hugh jackman is a happy end. but honestly you can meme the where is she where is she where, where is, is she, she? <laughs> It's it, you yeah. know. He he has some moments in this movie. Again, that that scene that I'm talking about, where they go to this club in New Orleans, he has a moment where he literally growls at the henchmen of this crime boss he's talking to, and he is under duress in this scene. But even so, I was like, why? Why is he just guttural and <laughs> <laughs> like he definitely goes for it in a few parts and. 
I think all in all... I just want Hugh Jackman to be happy. I, I do love Hugh Jackman. All in all, I think it was a fine performance. I think Nick Bannister is an interesting enough character, and as noir protagonists go, I think he's, a, he's an interesting choice for, for a sci-fi noir. But, yeah, not, not... I don't know. This isn't necessarily the finest work of, of Hugh Jackman's career. And it will be interesting to see where he goes from here. I don't know if he has anything coming up and like i said I, I can't remember a ton that he's been in especially since greatest showman and you know x-men movies and cameos here and there i liked him in logan right he, he was in bad education a couple years back which i didn't see but it was i did see okay. that i go. did like that he was pretty good in that so i guess i need to catch up with it because he's someone who I, I love Hugh Jackman because the X-Men movies are a big part of my <laughs> growing up watching blockbusters and big superhero movies. and he's, he, he, I, I, I want him to see take on quieter people. I feel like all of his characters require him to scream a lot. <laughs> or sing a lot if you're a free guy and greatest yeah. showman. But, I mean, do you have anything else to say about this movie? It feels like there's a lot more that we could get into, and obviously this is a podcast with a time limit, so the one thing I will say is I really liked Ramin Jawadi's music, and there are... The music was good. There are some some jazzy-styled pieces, especially in more of the noir investigation parts of this movie, that were so good at setting the scene and creating vibe <laughs> and underscoring this this hunt for May. And some of the more, I guess, techno-styled stuff that happened during some of the action scenes wasn't as interesting to me, but I really did love most of the music. I want to, I did bring up the, her editing earlier, so, I mean, Lisa Joy working with her editor here, Mark Yoshikawa, and I think as we do look at Lisa Joy as a director, which I want to spend just a moment on before we, before we start to wrap up this blend of the month... I think throughout the movie, one of one of my biggest problems with Reminiscence, aside from a story, just from a filmmaking is perspective, is the acting. <laughs> not what I was gonna say. I mean, the editing, in that, it feels like she consistently cuts a moment too soon. We don't get to establish a strong rhythm throughout a lot of these scenes, and they are pretty spliced up. And I don't, I'm not always one to really harp on editing, but I I do like when directors give their actors a moment to to act and they're not creating performances in post they're they're letting these people create characters and allowing them to to have longer moments on screen without the need to splice in different cuts or different camera angles and there were even a few cuts throughout this movie that don't really add anything new where you're looking at a close-up of of nick and then you cut to a medium shot of just nick or him looking at a reminiscence or something. And did, I guess, did you pick up on the editing at all? Because it really frustrated me. Because I wanted it to slow down and give us more instead of trying to create this heightened sense of pace and tension that this movie didn't need. I I was I honestly didn't... I, I wasn't feeling too bad about the editing. And bad editing I normally can, can pick up on. I was okay with the fast pace... But in going off of the directorial style, I don't think she got the best performances out of her actors she could have gotten. 
So, I mean, we just did spend some time talking about the acting. I don't think there was real chemistry amongst everyone who was in this world. I don't. Well, what do you mean chemistry they amongst everyone? They were superficial. Everyone? I don't think that the world, the people, the supporting, and the main characters knew who their characters were as they were living within this sci-fi world that Lisa Joy has created. So, what do you mean? Like, you think these people aren't in a sci-fi movie? Or I they don't have good that, okay, let, let, let's go. Let's go back to what I said about Hugh Jackman. I didn't believe that he was someone who was actually in love with this woman because I, I couldn't see his relationship with May. I didn't believe that Tandy Newton was someone who actually owed Watts that much because I couldn't see her chemistry build up with Watts as it related to this world where there are a few jobs to go around. I couldn't see the other Westworld actress. She played Elsa? That's the name, Yes, right? Elsa, this woman who gets, who goes to the reminiscence place to revisit this old encounter she had with a lover. I, I really didn't see her relationship develop with this lover and, and who she personally was. She was, I, I guess there, I, I just wish her character would have been fleshed out a little bit more. The cops were so overperformed. The, like the DA and her the DA and her buddy, her and, partner and her partner. They're barely in the movie though, and they overact every second they're in it. <laughs> I I just I and look, part of this is the actor's fault, but part of it I do think is Lisa Joy not knowing what to tell her actors to do. This obviously this being a feature directorial debut, she does have quite a bit of work in television, especially on the writing and producing side. I, I would say that Reminiscence definitely feels like the work of a director in process. And I would say, I hope Lisa Joy... Gets the chance to do something else. Yeah, absolutely. Gets the chance to do something else. Especially with the success of Westworld. Reminiscence, unfortunately, it seems like it's not going to be a huge hit. It's on HBO Max and in theaters. It's getting pretty low reviews. And so, normally, this is a circumstance that means a, a woman directing a movie like this won't be given another chance. And I hope that she does. Not only because she's married to Jonathan Nolan, who I really like his movies that he has done with his brother Christopher, and so I hope that they have a chance to collaborate more, but I think that there is a lot to work with in Reminiscence. But it just seems like the work of someone who is on her way to becoming a better film director, not necessarily somebody who kind of came out of the gates hot and, and ready to go. So I guess, Christian, final thoughts on Reminiscence here. Number one, for Lisa Joy, would you be excited if you found out an announcement comes out, she is working on another movie, it's whatever whatever it would be, whether it's it sci-fi or drama. Number one, it is not. It wouldn't be the number one thing on my list to check out. But would you would you still be curious about it? Even if it's not at the top of your list, if it popped would, up on a streaming service, would you check it out? Not really. Ooh. I okay. I if someone told me to check it out, maybe. But it's there you go. It it's not like I'm not completely writing her off, but it, it it's it's like I need something more. I would be much more excited if she were producing something or making another television series and writing for it, but not a directorial, another directorial effort. I'm not really going to check it out unless someone tells me or other people give me hype about it. Gotcha. It does seem like she has a few more TV projects in the works, so we'll see. But last question then for Reminiscence. Would you recommend this? No. <laughs> nope. I just cannot get a read on you this whole review. You had so many nice things to say, and now you're so strong in telling people not to watch it. I'm not going to tell people, go to Reminiscence. There's a lot of pretty pictures of sunken Miami. 
But you weren't, uh, boy, you weren't just talking about the pictures. You said you liked the world they created. And I, I if you want to see sunken New Orleans, also really pretty to look at. I would, I would recommend Reminiscence. I, I would say I watched this on HBO Max. Did you, Christian? Y- yes. Unfortunately, I, I, I've, in a way, I want to support the work of obviously, you know, more we want more women stepping into the director's chair in Hollywood, especially for original concepts like this, and so. If you want, go check it out in theaters. I would say this is definitely more of a streaming watch. Uh, I was glad that I watched it on HBO Max. Go to pop some popcorn at home, turn off the lights, and, and just tune in for two hours. I, I would give it a mild recommendation. I think there's a lot to enjoy, especially if you like noir-styled things. Do give it a watch. But with that, Christian, it does wrap up our original sci-fi, directed by women, a.k.a. the Women of Sci-Fi Blend of the Month. So, obviously, we made much ado about my my spotty choices here when it comes to picking movies, and I, I was banking on Reminiscence being a, a win, especially since I knew you weren't looking forward to it. But all in all, as you reflect on the month, what are your feelings with the three movies that we got to watch? Uh, honestly, we need more women given a chance to do sci-fi because it... Like even you were having a hard time finding things, and so that's my main takeaway: that if more women are given a chance to direct sci-fi features, we will have more positive things to say. They are capable of directing, duh. <laughs> but also, even um, one of my favorite movies this year so far, Black Widow. Kate Shortland, I can definitely see her take on a sci-fi film and being excited to go see what she does with it. I'm, I'm honestly, I was not a big fan of this month. It, I, I, in reflection, definitely not the strongest trio that we've looked at, and a lot of times when we're looking at something like Studio Ghibli, it is so easy to pick three awesome movies. But even as I'm coming to them for the first time, I was blown away, blown away, and then I already love Spirited Away. Or looking at a, a year like, you know, 1973, getting to watch some classics is, is always a good time. And so you're, you're taking more of a risk when it comes to something like uh, original sci-fi directed by women. That's a very narrow category, especially when we are trying to find movies that are available. And there are a few others that maybe I wished we could have fit in if we had a few more weeks. Uh, but, and, but, and, and, this, and this I'll say, though, outside of drama, it's hard. Maybe rom-com. That's the area that women have been given the most chances to direct a feature. It it shouldn't... I should be able... We should be able to play a game. And I'm stealing this directly from one of the Democratic presidential debates. We should be able to play a game called Who's Your Favorite Woman Sci-Fi Director? And have multiple options that we're passionate about. Right. So I think we're on the same page here that moving forward, I hope that there are there is more. I want more original sci-fi movies in general, and I especially hope that we get to see the the same categories of folks that we are hoping for more opportunities in the future. More directors of color, more female directors stepping in to direct these concepts because I think naturally they that people from different backgrounds draw out different parts of similar stories, and that's why representation matters and so I, I would hope that especially as we get into a new decade here that reminiscence isn't the only example of an original sci-fi film directed by a woman that we have for the foreseeable future even if it wasn't the you know strongest movie out of the gate so 
As always, Christian and listeners, we like to get into some awards as we reflect on the blend. So we will be looking at here uh, some of our favorites from the marathon, and I'm curious to see where we go. Because like we said, not the strongest, but I think a lot of these movies had some big pros mixed in with some you know mediocre overall feelings that we had towards them. So naturally, this was a blend of the month looking at female-directed films, and so it only makes sense, Christian. Who was your best director of the month? Was it Mimi Leader for Deep Impact, Julia Hart for Fast Color, or Lisa Julia Joy Hart. for Reminiscence? <laughs> I really don't think that there's... A... Speak on it. <laughs> Julia Hart has such a great, gentle touch, is able to, with such a low budget, build up characters within it. It's uh, And I am most intrigued. If she has another movie coming out, I would want to go see it. I actually don't think there's a comparison. I will say, I was torn in this question about Deep Impact and Fast Color. And I, I will let you know, listeners, the, the look that Christian is giving me right now is one of pure derision. <laughs> and the reason I, I say I like that, Deep Impact, but still. <laughs> the reason I say that is most of my problems with Deep Impact come from the writing. Trying to set up too many storylines and not investing in, in any of them enough. And I think that Mimi Leader brought out a ton from with what she was given. And she did I don't think she participated in the screenplay beyond director's notes and, and help. So I was torn there, but I would agree with you that I think Julia Hart had the best directorial performance. Obviously working with the smallest budget. The other two were very big studio movies. Fast Color is a very small indie movie. And I think she, like you, I'm, I'm excited for her future stuff. And I want to check out her debut, Miss Stevens, and see what else she has coming. I know she has Stargirl, which is a Disney Plus original thing based on a book for kids that I probably won't I check know. out. So, But I do want to see her debut. And I'm excited about where else she's going to go because I really enjoyed the two movies of hers that I have seen. So I will go with Julia Hart for Best Director here. The next one. I am curious about your answer to this as well, Christian. We're, I'm going to ask you for your favorite genre mashup. So not just in in general, but with these three movies specifically, who did it best? So was it Deep Impact, the sci-fi disaster movie? Was it Fast Color, the indie take on superheroes? Or was it Reminiscence, the sci-fi noir? Which handled its genre mashup the best? I want... Uh, all three had problems. All three did have problems. <laughs> Sci-fi disaster. Let's go with Deep Impact. Yeah, I I enjoy Deep Impact's concept the most. Not the writing, <laughs> not the directing, but the concept. I went in expecting a sci-fi disaster movie, and I got a sci-fi end-of-the-world-looking event. I was really torn with this question as well because, like I said, I really enjoy noir as a sensibility, and I really loved so much of what Lisa Joy was doing in Reminiscence with noir, but because specifically of my problems with the ending and where that movie goes, I'm once again going to go with Fast Color. Obviously, we're fans of the MCU on this podcast. We love superheroes, and so I love new and fresh takes on superheroes, and I loved the very small character family study that came with fast color and that small look at people with superpowers so i'll go with that as well now christian our best picture we have deep impact fast color and reminiscence i think we're going to be on the same page here but what was your best picture fast color as was mine you're three for three 
<laughs> I am three for three. Not without much thought. I, I often try to diversify my picks so we can praise other aspects of movies that no, work as well. No, go with your gut. But in this instance, I think Fast Color did do all three the best. And although I probably liked Fast Color and Reminiscence similar ways, I am going to side What's wrong with, with you? For me... I thought Deep Impact was very uneven, and there were some strong parts. But no, a lot not of even that. You liked Reminiscence and Fast Color the same. I liked Reminiscence quite a bit, and I think there's a lot to enjoy. And I didn't have nearly as many problems with the story that you did. All right. <laughs> I have some, definitely some problems with the ending and a few bits and parts in between, but I liked a ton about it. But I think Fast Color is the better overall package. I really enjoy the performances in that movie. I'm a fan of Julia Hart, or becoming a fan, really, now that I've seen two of her movies. And like I said, I really enjoy the take on superpowers and, and the themes that she was working with. And that said, it's my best picture. What would you What would you say in addition? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing? Oh, Christian. Okay, he lets me be the arbiter of the best picture here, so... I said Fast Color. It's true. Well, I know, I know, I know. I just meant, I didn't know if you had much to add on to it. No. You did. You did speak on it a little, but she uh, she has a great touch. She knows how to get the best of her actors, and she knows how to propel the story forward. So there you go, folks. Uh, as a reminder for all of these movies, if you want to check them out and you have not yet, Deep Impact is available for free with ads on Peacock. Fast Color is on Hulu, and Reminiscence is available to watch in theaters, and of course is on HBO Max. So. Naturally, we like to break up the pace for our blends of the month, and we often have a streaming recommendations episode where we take a look at a few, at four movies that are available on streaming services to recommend before we dive into another blend of the month. Christian, you got to be in charge of picking the streaming recommendations episode for next week, so I will turn it over to you to share with the listeners what's coming up next. We normally do two that reflect on this month, two that reflect on the following month. We're going to um, scratch that. Because what we've looked at this month is sci-fi, and what we're looking going to look at next month is an exploration of a genre over the years. And so I thought, let's go into genres that are not just drama, not just comedy, because I think those reflect a much more situation and, and, and uh, characters and dialogue, but things that reflect production design and tone. So... We're going to pick two genre movies each. Now, uh, you have been given sci-fi for this month, and you have also been given Western. Yes, I have. And kind of in honor of um, Star Wars, which is a combo of the two. <laughs> you will not be choosing Star Wars. Ah, oh, darn. And I, I have given myself I'm kidding. fantasy, and I have given myself horror. And what we're going to do now is I want... The movies that you choose, and I'm going to do the same for myself, I don't want them to just be light sci-fi. I don't want it to just be light western. I want the entire setting to be fully realized production of science fiction, of western, of fantasy. I will not be choosing Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the Rings is a good example of... That high fantasy feel. The high fantasy about. feel, and I want it to be a horror movie feel. You're going to scare my socks off. I just I just know it. Well, it's going to be dark. <laughs> Let's just say that it's going to be dark, whatever I choose. So that's 
that's where we're aiming. I would, um, I won't stop you if you choose an animated movie, but I would rather it be live action. Rango for my Western recommendation coming in hot. <laughs> I love Rango. <laughs> I really love Rango. So that's what we got coming up next, folks. We're going to be looking at four genre movies, sci-fi, Western, horror, and fantasy coming at you available to stream. So I'm excited about that. I know most of those genres are things that I like. I'm becoming more of a horror person as time goes on. So should be a pretty fun episode next week. And hey, if you have recommendations for any of those different genres, send them to us at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. And this is the part of the show where we do wrap things up. So thank you for listening. And, and off the heels of that, please do send us an email. We love to get listener feedback. It's helpful to know what y'all are enjoying and what maybe you think we could do better. That would be sincerely helpful. And we love to feature any ideas that you have for the show. Any blends of the month, any movies that we missed, especially as we reflect on women of sci-fi, would definitely love to know if you have any thoughts for us. So again, that email is cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. There are a few other things you can do to support the show. Notably, you can... Give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach new listeners there, and we will shout out the reviews that we receive, so please do that if you want to be featured. You can also uh, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us to reach new listeners. You can also engage with us on social media. I'm on Twitter, Christian's on Instagram, and you can also follow us on the Letterboxd, where we are rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? Next month is going to be a doozy. Next month sure is going to be a doozy, but I cannot lie, I'm pretty excited for it. So, streaming recommendations next week, and then a really fun blend of the month for September. Get ready, folks. Until next time, he's Christian, I'm Scott, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.